From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to the Datebook Podcast. I'm Peter Hartlob, introducing a special interview from San Francisco Chronicle classical music critic Joshua Cosman with the legendary cellist Yo-Yo Ma. They talk about playing Bach on his current tour, the relation between culture and politics and economics, and how 62-year-old Ma feels about playing well-known pieces over and over. He doesn't seem to mind. He says his love for the music he grew up with is deepening over time. And they talk about a block party. Yes, Yo-Yo Ma is co-hosting a block party. It's in Oakland on Saturday, September 29th with the XQ Institute. There are a lot of local artists involved and art contributions by local students. And he'll be talking in the evening with Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff and others about how culture connects local communities. He's also performing at the Greek Theater on Sunday, September 30th. Yo-Yo Ma on the Datebook Podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, hi, Yo-Yo. Yeah. Hi, hey, this Josh. is Joshua Cosman. How are you? How are you? It's good to hear your voice. Welcome it's back nice to town. To hear you, yours. How have you been? I've been very well, thanks. And yourself? Good, good. Good. I'm getting We're... old. So... <laughs> getting old? Uh, trucking, you know, that's just kind of, um, but but good. Good. Well, um, I'm. you've got quite an uh, an impressive double bill scheduled for this weekend and that's the first thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about because I don't think I'd ever seen the words Yo-Yo Ma presents a block party in oh. in big headline print before. That was a new one for me. Well, that's, um, you know, I never knew that I uh, present block parties but, um, but I'm ex- really excited about the block party, and um, and I'm really excited that XQ, uh, the people that are actually organizing all of this, has done all the work to try to organize a block party. I think this is sort of a collaboration. Yes. Uh, because it's ultimately about uh, you know how education works and what is what is possible in education. Um, and especially for high school students, uh, in at this moment in in um, in the states, and so to be able to work in an area in Oakland that is, um, you know, obviously changing demographics, an incredibly creative place, um, 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 and to be able to have a conversation about that mm-hmm. and be able to experience people who are. Um, doing so many things to uh, to help um, is is sort of like you know it's it's my research project. So did they bring you into this, or you re- sought them out, or how did how did this match come about? If I may ask. Well, this is something. Uh, it's kind of two things uh, coming together. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sort of uh, launching, uh, and this is I think the fourth thing that we're doing out of. 36 uh, events that uh, I'm playing all the box suites at one sitting, so to speak, um, in 36 locations over the 
next two years. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm doing that is that it's kind of like a local global thing, and it's a global project because um, I, I've been very much uh, thinking about what we can as individuals do um, to to be part of uh, the solution, you know, for all for so many things. And I guess I'm trying to go to different communities and to locate people who are uh, working in culture uh, in ways that actually helps build community and strengthen them. So connect connect the dots for me, if you would. You've got you've got the the box suites in the the six uh, suites for for unaccompanied cello that you've played many times. You're playing them sort of all in a single sitting in these unusual locations. I, I rem, you know, I read about the, the performance that you did uh, last year at the Hollywood Bowl, and I see that you've got things in like Red Rock Amphitheater and, and this uh, church in, in uh, uh, Germany and, and these various sort of un, un, unorthodox uh, performance locations. Do I have that right? Right, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we did... So I did a concert at Blossom, did, did all of that, but then we, the next day we did sort of a day of uh, action in, in the Mahoning Valley, which is sort of Youngstown and Warren, and those are uh, steel town communities that have uh, just are, you know, are trying to, to, uh, to go through reinvigoration, mm-hmm. you know, how to reinvigorate when uh, a large uh, employer uh, leaves town, you mm-hmm. know, or your industry goes away, and I guess I guess in each community we try and actually ask people in advance visits to figure out well what is it that you know what what's a subject that you're all uh, thinking about? Some might be gun violence, other places might be um, you know like uh, in Denver we actually talked about the subject of home, like gentrification and uh, people moving new people moving in, what happens to communities, what happens to housing authority, and what do artists uh, do uh, to help. And so we've located, you know, actually quite a number of really, really wonderful people to that are helping, and I think we're hoping to find the same thing, and I know we will uh, in Oakland. And But in this case, XQ, which is uh, uh, designed to... Uh, help uh, with the thinking of how high schools uh, can best serve their students in this time. I guess their thesis, which I'm very much interested in, uh-huh. is that you know since 1910, the Carnegie, uh, since the 1910 Carnegie Commission, nothing, uh, no commission has really examined what. Uh, a high school should be. And 1910 is, you, you know, it was responding to, um, you know, the industrial age. Mm-hmm. That we wanted. And so, and what age are we in now? So I think uh, the fact that XQ is, is really trying to uh, think through a very fundamental issue and to help with the creation of new high schools and to reinvigorate high schools, other high schools, with curricula and all that is is very interesting, and that's I think um, uh, one of the pieces of what this day of action is going to be in in uh, in Oakland. I see. And so, I, so in other words, if I may, 
the the issue of high school and education and stuff is very specific to this particular stage in this ongoing tour that you're involved in, and there are other other issues in other locations as you go around. Oh, we're going to go to Puerto Rico in 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 March, and I think obviously we had uh, you know uh, you know the the chef uh, Jose Andres who actually cooked like 3.6 million meals uh-huh. in Puerto Rico, and and so what is what what are the pressing issues uh, there? And we're collaborating with Jose Andres and Lin Manuel Miranda uh, to to just you know to to kind of um, put a to shine a spotlight on on the people who are doing great work. And all of this is to try and reach uh, the you know I guess the most diverse or the largest possible audience through music in order to uh, do community activations. Got it. Great. Let me ask you, let me ask you this about the, the Bach suites, because I know that you've, you know, like every cellist, <laughs> you've, um, you've, they've been sort of lifelong companions for you. I mean, and, and I feel like every cellist says that, oh, the Bach suites have been with me all my life, and I've, they're constant partners, and nobody ever says that about the, you know, Dvorak concerto or the, uh, the, I don't know the 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 Saint-Saëns concerto. So, what is it about? And I know this seems like sort of an obvious question, but what is it about the the suites that makes them so sort of endlessly fertile in 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 terms of the art the artistic imagination, as far as you're concerned? Well, here's one thing that I I, I think I've I've kind of come to realize um, after, believe it or not, 58 years of playing. <laughs> yeah. I don't, it's kind of like, <laughs> sounds like an obscene number. Uh-huh. I've been playing Bach for 58 years. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> uh, but, but actually, um, uh, it's not gross because I find him more and more fascinating, uh, even though it's three, oh, 300 years after he's written uh, these suites, I think it is unbelievably timely to play his music, because, but especially these cello suites, partly because I think Bach tries to do something impossible. Mm-hmm. That's, um, and because he's taking a single-line instrument, generally, right. a single-line instrument like the cello, and, and of course he's used to playing many lines on the organ, right? And right. so he could music that has, you know, uh, many voices, they come together, they're very complex. So I think after spending time thinking, I want to find out and do everything, find out everything the cello can possibly do. And he does that, certainly, in the three, first three suites. And, but then he actually asks himself one, the next question is, so how can I find out what the cello cannot do and then actually find a, a compositional means to make it do things that it can't do. So it's kind of reaching for the impossible. And I think part of the reason why so many people find these suites, that they find a certain comfort and companionship in these suites, uh, especially when they need help, when they need help uh, going through traumatic moments, stressful moments, uh, moments of, 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 you know, of facing very difficult 
decisions. You know, I've been getting for decades letters and, and testimonials from people who say, you know, these sweets have gotten me through. Interesting. Know, cancer, uh, radiation, chemotherapy, uh, studying for exams, writing difficult things, uh, you know, a divorce, a death, uh, you know, a loss. And, and I think there is something related to the fact that Bach found the solution of doing the impossible for the cello by, by actually asking the ear of the listener to participate in filling in uh, the voices that he can only partially cover, especially the bass lines. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that if you have, you know, the ear always goes for the melodic, mm -hmm. right? Always we, we right. sing, we rarely sing bass lines. Okay, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know, and so, but the ear automatically hears the bass lines the way that we hear parents say things, but that we kind of don't acknowledge that, and or that they, uh, but we always had their voice in our ears, mm -hmm. and I suggesting, let's say, in a bass line that goes stepwise, like we all can sing a scale, right. uh, what a scale sounds like, but let's say you, you want to go down, you know, seven steps on a scale, and you can, but you can't hold on to one note for uh, 10 seconds, uh, until the next note comes in because you have other things to play because you're playing a single line instrument, then you suggest that mm -hmm. into the listener's ear. And then 10 seconds later, if you play the next note in a way as if you were playing that scale, the ear of the listener subliminally fills in the missing, let's say, nine seconds. So it's evidence of things not heard. Exactly. Of, of you, you know how how there's things that we know that we can count on uh, that um, you know if you come from a loving intact family uh -huh. uh, then you've uh, you've experienced something very precious like unconditional love mm -hmm. right and and that you take for granted for most of the time because it's always there yeah and but sometimes you but if you look at it you realize this is something that's extraordinary. Interesting. Right? We think that the earth is always stable, you know, the ground we stand on. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes, you know, there's a sinkhole <laughs> or there's an earthquake mm -hmm. or something happens. And, and so I think the, the uh, so by drawing in the person who is listening, Bach can actually provide fragility and strength at the same time and fragility can become strength vice versa interesting and and those things are taken in subconsciously so you're not saying hey fragility can be strength <laughs> go very far right but you imply it it's a metaphor and you're someone else is going through a tough time, you have that cushion of comfort. It's like, I understand. Yeah. I understand. I'm I know what you're going through. But I'm also, 
I'm also very objective because I, as Bach, I'm a scientist composer. So part of my job is to look at the universe and to look at human nature objectively. You know, this is what I, this is the mathematical scientific part of Bach, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I am totally in your court. Hmm. But there's one other thing that makes me special to you is that not only can I listen to your troubles, your pain, your sorrow, not only can I also hold you at arm's length and give you perspective, but I don't come around telling you that, look, I'm helping you, I'm the greatest, uh, you have to rely on me. I don't put myself at the center of your narrative. I'm sorry, I lost you there. The, all those first-person pronouns, that was you, Yo-Yo Ma, or Bach? No, no, it's Bach. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, if I were Bach, you'd have to call me Jojo. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, I'm interested also in this idea that, that, that uh, the, the suites are an exploration of what the cello can do and then a sort of a transcending of those limitations to tackle what the cello can't do. Do I have that right? Yes. And, and that, makes it sa- wait, that makes it sound like a, a kind of a, a, a narrative of struggle and triumph, the kind that we usually think of in connection with Beethoven, right? Um, Beethoven does it physically. Right. You know, and Beethoven is usually at the center of his narrative. Uh huh. And Beethoven achieves transcendence through generally physical means. Hmm. You know, through through um, through uh, through just the physical act of trying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very um, and Bach is there to kind of he doesn't assert himself necessarily. Mm-hmm. He's describing, he is, he is, he actually is the voice of understanding. Yeah. Interesting. And, and, and that is, that's what makes it unique. And one of the things that makes me want to play all the suites together is that because, um, you know, when you do that, it's actually an effort, not just for the performer, but also for the listener. But if you go through that effort, you actually go through a, a very interesting voyage. Mm-hmm. And, and that voyage uh, has a lot to do with, ultimately, with looking at ourselves both in a very compassionate way, but also in an objective way. We can look at ourselves statistically, uh, demographically, we can look at our problems, and uh, but by by understanding who we are, we're that much closer to being able to find solutions. So I think what is embedded in the music um, is what I'm trying to exteriorize and to say, wait a minute, Bach has been helpful to a lot of people. He's been very helpful to me. I'm a cellist. You know, I can't change that, and that's mm-hmm. what I have been doing for the last 58 years. And so I'm going to take something that I've found to be both uh, incredibly helpful to me, but also 
a very, you know, a very uh, uh, sort of a, a, well, a companion, uh, mm-hmm. but difficult times. And, and I'm, so I'm going to take, use that as a metaphor to go into communities and to look for um, what are other Bachs in society? Who are the people that use their creativity and their innovative ability to actually make things better? Mm. And so, I, and I'm looking at it through a cultural lens. And the cultural lens to me, uh, and I hope this is not you know, too much or too confusing, but, uh, but to me, I've spent a lot of time thinking, you know, what in the world is culture? You know, mm. you know I, I used to think culture was like, you know, cello music. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, no, 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 it's, it's museums, you know, it's museums and, and theater and, and, oh, that's culture. Uh, and then I thought, you know, but that's really not what it is. It's, it's what we, it's something else. And I sort of, by new definition for myself, is what we invent that increases our understanding of human nature and, and of nature. So that means it includes all the sciences. Huh, it's interesting. All of our languages. It includes uh, anything, including technology, including navigation, including uh, the creation of countries like the United States, food, food culture, you know, mixing of ingre- ingredients, any kind of creativity that we have found to be helpful in finding, being able to survive, and to be able to find meaning. Mm-hmm. And so, so I started out like 10 years ago saying, oh, we must, uh, we, we have cultural engines, we have economic engines and political engines, and culture should have a seat at the table of economics and, and politics. So I thought, okay, that's, that sounds reasonable. But then with this kind of new definition, I started thinking, wait a minute, no, it's not a seat at the table because culture, because we invented it for the purpose of understanding, mm-hmm. is actually the table. I was just going to say, culture is the table. Oh, yeah. really? So, you know, so if culture is at the table, I can't, it's not a seat. Right. It's a table. And when culture is there, then economics and politics can thrive. Right. Got it. Right. And the currency, okay, for economics is, you know, is, is some form of, of, you know, of money. Right? Mm-hmm. And politics right. is organizational power, you know, and, or power, or, and, and, but for culture, it's trust. The currency is trust. Mm. And the worst thing you can do in culture is to break the trust. Right. Yeah. That's why, you know. Uh, that's why you have shaming cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, no longer one of us, hmm. because you've broken the agreement. Yeah. Right. Interesting. And, and the culture is not. Uh, it's not just transactional. It's about service, and it's about gifts. Yeah. And. It's not like you owe me culture. No, you share culture. Mm. And culture turns the other into us. 
And now, if there's one big problem we need to deal with today, everywhere in the world, uh, with all the fractures, it's about whether we have the ability to turn the other into us. It's a tall order. It sounds like this is something you've thought a lot about over the years and very deeply and very interconnectedly. Uh, this is, these are questions that I've always thought about, but only lately have I been able to kind of either try to articulate it uh, and then after articulation to be able to, with help of friends and colleagues, to put it into some form of action that is visible and, and, and somehow palpable. I see. Right. Yeah. And, and also because I come from so many cultures, because I've had all of this experience of saying, this is the right way to do things. No, this is the right way to do things. No, this is the right way to do things. I grew up very confused, thinking, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, I thought there was only one right, but, but, you're, uh, but you're, uh, you, you can't be all right because you're contradicting each other. <laughs> so for, I've, uh, you know, I, th I think my life as a traveling musician has just exacerbated this uh, further by, because I travel to places and I see, you know, a community intact communities doing great things and but then other communities think oh that's not that's not right or uh they don't know about them and so either way you get very quickly to dissent and fracture mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but as a traveling musician i feel like i've lived the life of waldo if you know the <laughs> You know, you just, I just get dropped into different places, uh -huh. and I'm usually a guest in a community, uh -huh. and uh, and so I act a part of a guest. You know, I show appreciation for, for for what's happening. People show me incredible things that go on in their community that they're proud of, and and they do things that are so generous for me because they're my hosts, and right. they want to show me, and I take away experiences and gifts and ideas that. I just, it's like, it starts to live in me. So I feel like upon the fourth, fifth, tenth visit, I am part of this community, even though I'm always a visitor. But when I'm performing, I'm no longer the guest. I am actually the host. Uh-huh. Right? Because I, I'm the storyteller. Right. And so if I'm the host, my job is for all my guests to feel that they belong here and that they're comfortable and that they're going to have a great time. Uh -huh. And But what am I going to show them? You know, uh, I'm not offering food, but I'm offering food for thought. <laughs> not food, but food for thought. All right. Yeah. I like it. Oh. How, how, are you, how are you interacting these days with the, the sort of standard repertory classical music that you spent so much of your time playing. I, there, was, there was a documentary that, about Silk Road that came out a few years ago, and I remember you saying, expressing some sort of ambivalence about, you know, spending year after year playing, playing um, I don't know what, the Dvorak Cello Concerto or something like that. Um, and I feel like, you know, that kind of a project, the Silk Road Ensemble and the Silk Road Project and the Bach project is exempt from that, and yet, you know, the last time you were in San Francisco, there you were, playing the the 
the uh, Tchaikovsky Rococo variations and uh, I think the Dvorak, no, Saint-Saëns Concerto and, you know, playing the bejeebers out of it. So it's still, it's that's music is still alive for you in some way and still rewarding for you in some way. Am I right? Love. And I, it continues to be my uh -huh. first love. And what I love about it is that uh, uh, now that I've, you know, have been part of Silk Road for 20 years, I could resign from being an artistic director because they can, they, people know exactly what they need to do. Uh -huh. And it means that um, during all this time, it's sort of like mental traveling. Uh, you go away and you come back loving what you have even more. Nice. My love for, you know, what I grew up with has only deepened over time. I'm so much even more appreciative and loving to, you know, what uh, the cello repertoire that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. So I'm not escaping from it. Rather, I'm returning to it. In every, generally, outside of doing this Bach project, which I have to actually do less, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, I just can't, you know, I, I, I'm old and, and decrepit, so I, I can only do so much. But usually in a year, I probably play through 20 concertos. Uh -huh. you know, and I play recitals with, with Manny, with Kathy Stott. I just started a trio with Leonidas Cavacos. Right, I was going to ask you about that. You and Manny Axe, Emmanuel Axe, have been playing together for so many years, and it's such a tight partnership. And now all of a sudden, you've got Leonidas Cavacos, the violinist, sort of added to the mix. And how's that, how's that been working? How's that going? We have such a great time. I can't tell we just did a tour in Europe uh -huh. and and we have been laughing the whole time and doing great work. <laughs> it's like it's I, I I don't know why, but playing with Leonidas is like finding a long lost brother. We've had very different training, but we can read each other like you know, we've known each other forever. Uh huh. And and of course, Leonidas has played a lot with Manny. I've of course played for decades with Manny. So <laughs> it's it's kind of like a dream team. Uh huh. Uh, it's like a dream force actually. Right. Um, and and we just we love it, and you know we hope to do more. So I'm I'm very much ensconced in in thinking that every music I play in a very fundamental way is the same music. And I've always felt that about music. It's hmm. only uh, record bins uh, when there were records uh -huh. that made the categories. And it's uh, obviously categories are made for a particular reason, but those were never my reasons. Interesting. Does that well, make any sense? That makes a lot of Yes, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to ask you one more question as uh, I'm going to let you go. But... Um, you hear a lot of young musicians, I'm sure. Yeah. Have you heard anybody lately that, you know, any uh, young up-and-comers that have excited you that you think we ought to know about or that you want to um, just put in a plug for? Not, not you know, to make invidious comparisons. It doesn't mean anybody else isn't happening. But, like, who have you heard lately that was exciting? Well, you know, I, what's, what's interesting is that I actually played with a bunch of 10-year-olds today. Oh. Uh, at some thing, and, and they're all part of the Bay Area uh, music uh, project, and then the Alameda, you know, music 
uh, another group. And they're, you know, it's like the most wonderful, interesting uh, kids who all have wonderful, de- uh, they're local, you know, they're, they're just local students. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and we did, you know, like simple gifts together. And I'm going to play more with them uh, on Saturday in Oakland because that's part of the block party that we're doing. And and what's great is that if these kids, and this comes right back to education, mm-hmm. it's not about saying you should do like me, and it's more like uh, not offering food to people, but but saying to someone here's how you can fish, hmm. you know? Yep. And, and in that way, it, you, you know, and what we try to do in education is to actually say that we need access mm-hmm. and that access should be the normal for everyone. I'm sorry, access or excess? Access. Oh, access. Because I'm in favor of excess sometimes, but... I love excess too, but, but we know excess is not sustainable. Yeah. Right? But access yeah. is really desirable because what happens is it's not about saying this is the right way to do things, but the access to be able to think freely, mm-hmm. be manipulated into thinking that there's only one way to do things and that there's only one truth and that, but to have the access to people that can, you know, offer different perspectives and, but, or to offer a model that you really think applies to you, Mm -hmm. you know, that makes you an access to freedom to think, you know, to have, know that the power to think uh, and to invent and to imagine is should be one of our human rights, and I think music and the arts are one of the best ways to seed imagination, one of the best ways to create trust, and one of the best ways once you have trust, freedom to think, safety to mm-hmm. think, safe place to think, which is incredibly important then that is what makes our country great. That's what gives us, uh, you know, the power to say, wait a minute, we have something to contribute because we're trying to solve problems in new ways that we haven't thought possible before. And that's and that comes from, and believe me, I think from from working out theater groups, working out, uh, you know, musical problems. Those are the some of the greatest templates for actual problem solving. Well, that sounds like a very optimistic uh, um, program, in fact, uh, um, and and one that is uh, capable of inspiring a lot of hope and a lot of inspiration. So. I thank you for I, that. I'm not thinking that this is, uh, you know, a program that that I run. I just would like to use myself in a way that uh, shines 
uh, a focus on all the people that are doing great work that often don't get any light. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, no no spotlight. And I think having them to be able to be recognized and then hopefully a little bit more time and capacity to be able to talk to one another because so often people who are helping are doing it 24-7 and they don't have time to actually see who their colleagues are, how their colleagues are solving problems, and to be able to do that community by community and then to join them at the global scale. I think that's a great use of tech uh, to do. Uh, so it's not about wealth creation. It's about the creation of, of, of a kind of social problem-solving uh, that's created through mutual trust. Very good. Well said. Well, listen, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you as always. And, uh, I, you know, you say, you say you're old, but uh, you're still young. You, you got well, a, I see you've got a birthday coming up, and so I'll wish you a happy birthday oh, uh, you. in advance. <laughs> And, uh, I hope you'll uh, you'll have a chance to celebrate and that you'll have a, a a good time this weekend at the block party. I'm looking forward to that and to the uh, the performance of the box suites on Sunday night at the Greek Theater. But and I hope I, I see you before Sunday. You certainly will. But, uh, and and take good care of yourself and and you know just keep writing and keep doing beautiful things. I will do my very best. Thanks so much, Yale. Be well. Thanks, Josh. Bye. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to our guest, Yo-Yo Ma. Our producers today are Fernando Diaz and Peter Hartlob. Executive producer is Fernando Diaz, and our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is Mozart's Symphony 40 in G minor by Blue Dot Sessions. Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.